Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about living a slower, simpler life in a hectic and somewhat complicated world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you for joining us. And my name is Ben McCallery. And you're listening to episode 161, which is a hostful. <laughs> They're the episodes where you guys write in and we try to answer your questions as clearly and as articulately <laughs> as possible. It is. That's exactly what we do. Just quickly before we jump into the questions, thank you so much for those people that have already answered our slow home survey, mm -hmm. listener survey. We've had uh, tremendous responses to date. We'll probably leave it up uh, probably for another week or so. So if you're keen to help us out by answering five quick questions, that would be tremendous. Just head over to slowyourhome.com slash survey and you'll get a link to our survey monkey questions. That's it, really? That is it. Let's yeah. get into it. All right. question comes from Susan. Susan asks, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think the role of your job and career fits into one's life if it doesn't necessarily link specifically with your why. Certainly my job pays for my why but doesn't necessarily allow me to com completely delve into my why to the extent that I desire. What a good question and really good because that's what we're going through at the moment basically. Yes. We are is. living this question right now. It is a right very now. pertinent question. And part of the reason why we've set up that survey as well. Yes. So yeah, that's right. To just to provide that circle link. Circle back. Yes. Uh, two things. I want to commend you for your, uh, your, your hostful question tone. Radio voice. I really, really enjoy it a lot. I can't do it, obviously. No. <laughs> uh, secondly, though, yes, this is a really timely question for us. Not... Uh, least of which because not sure if that segue works go on okay i'm actually interviewing carolyn tate later today and you may remember carolyn from uh we did a two-part series with her about conscious capitalism that's right yeah really interesting conversation so carolyn's big into uh the b corp movement she runs a b corp herself and we spoke about that back in september but the reason i mention it is that she has written a book about purpose and particularly bringing purpose to your workplace uh you know maybe if it's not necessarily aligned things like that so that interview is going to go live at the end of june so we're going to do our best to answer it now but i do just want to say that there's there's more coming there's more coming well. yeah exactly but i think the first thing that i wanted to say to susan is that it's okay if your job is not necessarily your why. I think it's like saying your job needs to be your passion. I don't think that's the case. And I think for most people, it's not ever going to be the case. Mm. Uh, and that's okay. I think there are many ways that you can bring your why into the work that you do. There's many, many ways that you can bring your why into the way that you live. And the way that you live often is reflected in the way that you work anyway. Uh, and the choices that you make in your day-to-day -day life that may not necessarily be work-related. So I think 
that part of the issue, much like the whole passion conversation a few years ago, where it was like, find your passion, yeah. you'll never have to work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but that's just BS, that advice. And I think that's the issue that this whole conversation about why and purpose can sometimes suffer from. People see that it's like, it's got to be all or nothing. If I'm living my purpose, all in, it's got to be all in. And that's admirable. And I think there are situations where that can be the case. But for the majority of us, it's going to look like a compromise. And I think that's, that's life. It's a matter of us figuring out what those compromises are and how comfortable we are with them and what we can do to minimize them and all that kind of stuff. But I've said it before, we don't live in a vacuum. We can't just go about kind of, you know, barreling through life with our why at the, at, at, at the front, expecting everything to kind of go our way be, just because we have a why, because we have a purpose. The reality is our purpose might be at odds with someone else's and it, it will be almost mm. certainly. Mm. Uh, so I, that's not to, to, to discourage you from trying to put your why at the center of things as much as possible, only to say that there will be times where it's going to be compromised. Uh, and that's frustrating, but I think it's on us as people who are living kind of values, values centered lives to have strategies to deal with that and, and things that we are willing to, to flex on and things that we aren't willing to flex on. So in, in following up with that, I just maybe would encourage you, Susan, anyone, anyone else who finds themselves kind of thinking these same they, thinking these same thoughts, go back to the series that we did a few weeks ago on finding your why, but specifically to the episode where we looked at like extrapolating your values from your why. So not just, you know, your eulogy or whatever it was that you did, but looking at those specific core values and seeing if you can maybe narrow those down a little more or look at how they apply to you in the work that you do. Not necessarily in the output, but how you carry yourself at work, how you Mm. behave, how you treat people, how you work, you know, what you will and what you won't support. And I think that the core values that you represent in those interactions says more about your why uh, than than maybe we necessarily think it does. Absolutely. I'd like to just expand on that really briefly and almost throw out a challenge for Susan. Okay. If you're up for it, Susan. Not sure whether you are because you can't really reply at the moment, but please do. (laughs) Congratulations. You have got a job that allows you to practice your why. And I think that's really, really important. And a lot of people don't even get that. Yeah, because she class. does. Do you yes. know what I mean? They she don't... does say not as much as she wants. Exactly. Yeah. So fantastic that you've got a platform to be able to then work your why into your life, but you want to go deeper. And again, congratulations for actually acknowledging that fact. So here's a challenge. Be courageous to try and exert your why into the work you do now. And that's kind of broad, but challenge things if they don't feel right. Look at alternative ways of doing things that sit more closely to your why and present them to your boss. Or look at processes that can be efficient that also link back to your why and try and introduce those. Even having conversations with colleagues, getting them to understand your why is halfway there because then they will say, well, 
hang on a minute, Susan believes this, this, and this. Why don't we try and even just have conversations with Susan about this? Susan's got some really good ideas, this, this, and this, because they're aligned to what she... Anyway, all I'm trying to say is if you start projecting your why in your career, colleagues, if they're nice people, will take that on board and start to sort of maybe understand a little bit more about you and what your beliefs and your why and your... Okay, Brooke, you've got your hand up. Please. I do have my hand up. Please interrupt. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How would you do that? So I'm asking you because I have Mm. very little experience in working in a... And I don't know what Susan does either, but working in a corporate environment, you have like years and years of it. So how would you... Hang on. How would you have that conversation because I have a hard time imagining you sitting down with your colleagues and going, so here's my why. No, here's no, my purpose. Like like, no, no, but so, how, how? Okay. So that might be on the weekend, you're very passionate about the environment and the environment around you and you want to do more to protect that environment. So you are a member of a local conservation society or group mm-hmm. and on the weekends you go out and you go for a bushwalk and you pick up loads and loads of rubbish that Mm. might be in the national park. But you start that conversation by saying, what did you do on the weekend, Susan? Well, I went and went for a bushwalk. And I went with a group of friends who are really passionate about rubbish problem that we've got in the local area. So we we go out with our bags and we collect that rubbish. So it's it's just telling a story. Mm. It's just telling a story, but hooking in your why to that story and then you can go in and delve deeper look this is total totally fictitious i don't know whether this is your why but it could be someone's why and that's Mm -hmm. the way of bringing it into the conversation so water cooler conversations you just tell stories you just tell people what you did on the weekend or what you did after work and if you do it enough people will pick up on the themes Mm -hmm. guaranteed Mm -hmm. When you're talking to your boss about perform your performance um, KPIs, you know your plans uh, professionally for the the coming year. There's always a little bit about personal development or career development, professional development, ongoing learning, training, those sorts of things. That's when you bring in your why. Right. That's a really practical piece of advice. That's, Thank you. No, it, it is. I, like I said, I don't have any experience in mm. corporate world, so. The fact that there should be every six months or or however often it is an opportunity for you to at least have a very brief conversation about that is really helpful. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's fantastic advice. So to put a bow on that, I guess, I think that there's a couple of important things to keep in mind. Compromise, but also the fact that you can do as uncomfortable as compromise can be. As long as you're, you're having the conversations, telling the stories like you've suggested, uh, you're putting it out there. If you're behaving in the way that is aligned with your personal why in the workplace, then you're putting it out there. You're, you know, you're feeding that, that story over time. What you can also do is look for multi, like a multitude of small ways you can start to move closer to your why in, in your workplace, but also in your life, like outside of work. Because I think that when you can see that you're living like very aligned with your why and your values in your, your life outside of work, you begin to feel more fulfilled in that regard. So even if there's not a lot you can do about work stuff for now, 
you know, outside of changing jobs, changing careers, whatever, you can do things that are within your control. So just look for small ways of doing that. Look for small ways of bringing more of your why into your day. Like the choices that you make, the things that you buy, the people, charities you support, the whatever the, you know, whatever it, it looks like. And I think you'll find that over time that builds up to a point where you feel like big picture, you're living much more closely to your why than you were before. Nice. Hmm. Hopefully that's, that's been helpful. But yeah, listen out for the Carolyn Tate episode in a few weeks as well. The next question's from Jane. Hi, Jane. Jane asks, what are some strategies to manage the paper that builds up so that it does not become overwhelming <laughs> clutter? How do you manage filing things that need to be kept and dealing with the rest? Okay, so before we kick off, yep. Jane and everyone else, listen to this. That's the sound of Brooke's second book. Yeah. In A3 pages. Yeah. On is. our desk. It is. <laughs> our desk is very papered right now, Jane. <sighs> I feel like taking a photo of it, but I'm a bit too embarrassed. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not taking a photo of it. Uh, but usually we do have a system in place for paper. So I think it might be helpful for us to walk through what we do normally uh, in order to keep the paper on uh, under control, rather. So, well, let's just go through what we do because I feel like everyone's oh, mailbox okay. looks different. All right. Let's do it your way. Okay, let's do that. So we minimize junk mail, obviously. That's the first thing you can do to to start to cut back on the paper clutter. So if you're on mailing lists that you don't want to be, like take the three minutes to unsubscribe from them uh, and put your sticker up that says no junk mail if you live in a place anywhere like us, you'll still end up with some junk mail. So as I bring the mail in, everything that, that is junk mail just gets recycled immediately. I will open up the mail or you will open up the mail in the kitchen. Everything gets recycled as needed. Just goes straight into the recycling bin. Yeah, like yeah. envelopes and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and then anything that needs action. So a bill, the occasional bill that still comes in paper. Uh, and the occasional letter or whatever that needs to be responded to goes into a little pile tucked in behind our fruit bowl, which is like our action pile. And every Wednesday usually, which is admin paperwork day, one of us will get that little pile out. We will pay the bill. We will write the letter. We will do whatever needs to be done with those pieces of paperwork. And then we will either file the paper as it's finished uh, or recycle it. So what has helped us to lessen that over the last few years is a few things. We get almost all of our bills by email now, or we've signed up to automatic banking, like bank deductions with yep. our bills, which makes things a lot easier. And we don't keep a lot of bills and statements and things like that because virtually everything is available very readily online. If ever we need it, we can call the insurance company, we can call the bank, we can call the store and get the copy of the statement or get the copy of the, the bill if we need to. So we pretty much recycle everything. If it does need to be filed, we've got like a one drawer filing cabinet that has things, I think we've got insurance paperwork, a few things from the bank. Which like you don't actually even need, sorry, which you don't even have to have hard copies of anymore. No. So that's actually a, a job that is kind of something we should, yeah. should do yeah. is 
uh, digitize those things. So you can scan them if you've got an iPad or a decent camera phone. I think you've got there's there's apps that you can use your camera on your phone or your iPad to actually scan those exactly. documents, yeah. put them in the cloud, and then you can recycle them. Yeah. But I think that the best way, the quickest way, is to just not have them come into your house in the first place, if at all possible. And then just really quickly, clutter in terms of digital clutter as well is another another topic and another issue. But just on that last one, when you're scanning things, scan them onto an external hard drive. We've got like six, seven ex- different external hard drives that we use for different filing. So someone once said to me, uh, if you have one backup, that's the equivalent of zero. Yeah. And uh, so two backups is the equivalent of one. Yeah. So essentially you want to back your files up to the cloud, some cloud service, we use Dropbox and an external hard drive. Hard drive. Yeah. So that if one or one of those fails or if your computer fails, then you're still going to have at least one because otherwise, yeah, yeah. Um, things happen. Anyway, I mean, so, things go down. So, yes. yes. So I think that that's, that's probably the best way to deal with it. Just question, really question whether you need to keep that piece mm. of paperwork, even warranties and things like that. Generally, you don't need the physical copy exactly. of it. You need a photograph. You need like a scan of the it's receipt. It's all done with emails but now. Yeah, anyway. most of it's yeah. email. Mm. The other side of the paper clutter for us is kids' school paperwork, um, notes coming home and things that need to be paid. We typically, if we pull them out of the kids' bags, kind of crumpled and covered in food or whatever, but <laughs> we will action that straight away. So if it needs to be like a permission note needs to be signed or you know money for a lunch order or something like that, we will do that straight away, put it near the front door to, so the for kids the can take day. it yep. the next day. If there's something important like sports carnival that we need to know the details of, we will stick that note on the fridge uh, and put the details into our phone. But uh, as soon as that's passed, the the notes just get recycled. And usually that means things don't ever, they don't ever kind of, you know, bank up too much. The kids do both have like a little plastic sleeve on the fridge that things like awards and Mm. uh, little bits and pieces that come home from school go in and we clean those out, you know, usually every school holidays. And yeah, I think a combination of those things and minimizing what comes in in the first place is the best way to keep on top of it. The next question is from Jasmine. Jasmine writes in, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? There's such a gap in the market for super young mindfulness in the minimalist minimalism and financial advice stage specifically. So, Brooke, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? Your pink hair doesn't look nearly as cool as you think it did, does. <laughs> you think you're cool, Danny? Uh, I would say, first of all, actually, what I will say to Jasmine hmm. is I am proud of you. <laughs> okay. Which is a weird thing to say to someone who doesn't know me. But I am because I was an, I was an idiot at 18. I was... I think like most people at that age, pretty self-centered, certainly not thinking about my future. I certainly wasn't thinking about financial advice or Mm. mindfulness. I was, and this is is not funny. It's quite sad. I was just mindless. I did what other people had done before me because that's what they did and expected certain things to unfold in like in a set kind of process yeah. just because like there was a formula to yeah. follow and you were following that formula absolutely and blindly. i did that up until yeah. about my mid-20s mm. really uh you know with, with kind of varying levels of 
success. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, Jasmine, just, I think it's awesome that you're considering this stuff now and you're Absolutely. asking the questions. I think it's brilliant because yeah. the world is full of people who are simply existing. And what you're doing is asking for insight on how to do more than that, how to live, how to be mindful, how to be intentional. And I think that's, that's just beautiful and brilliant. And the world needs more of that. Yeah. Going back to the idiot that I was at 18 though, mm. Uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I never once thought ahead in terms of finances or anything like that until mm-hmm. probably we'd finished uni. You and I finished uni at the same time. So I was 20 when I graduated uni. Then we, I got my first full-time job, started saving. And the first thing that I saved for was a year-long gap year. So you and I took took off, I don't know, how old were we? 21? 21. Yeah, 22. I was, you yeah. were 22. I was 21. And we traveled for a year. Which brings me to my first piece of advice, experiences over things. Mm-hmm. Invest in experiences, invest in things that will possibly encourage you to operate outside your comfort zone for a while. Because what I've learned now as an elderly 35-year-old is that growth only happens when I'm outside my comfort zone. Mm. I only and, and change as a result only happens because of growth. So if you can build into your life from like a relatively young age, this habit, this ability, this flexibility to, to live and, and shift in and out of your comfort zone, but mindfully shift out of your comfort zone regularly, you're going to, to be more open-minded. You're going to be more flexible and more resilient and more understanding and empathetic and compassionate and and generous and all these incredible things that happen because for me anyway because of travel uh and it doesn't have to be travel it can be other things as well but for me travel was the was the that taking that big trip when i was 21 was i think the the time when i started to grow Mm. and to grow up Mm. and it was the first time that i ever felt like i had real agency over my own decisions in terms of who I wanted to be, who I wanted to spend time with, how I wanted to live in the world. Um, it certainly wasn't like a magic bullet. I came back just slightly less of an idiot than <laughs> I went over, but mm. it really did. It did change me. And you and I still talk about that trip as like a seminal moment. It was a moment. It was a, a real shift in, in life looking back. Do you agree? I, I totally agree. My advice for my 18-year-old self would be Take risks. Mm. Forgive yourself as well. Be kind to yourself. Mm. But take cal- calculated risks. So, Jasmine, I think that you're you're in a great space because you've actually identified a gap in the market. Yeah, exactly. My challenge for you, Jasmine, is fill that gap. If you think there's a gap in the market for a community or or people or even like financial advisors that are geared towards like a minimalist, more mindful way of living, fill that gap. Mm. Yeah. And like we said, the world needs people who are tapped in to that. If you are looking for specific advice uh, now, I can recommend um, the Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape. His advice is very simple it's it's quite aligned with living you know an intentional life he has a uh, a book he has a podcast he has a great website and i will include links to that in the show notes but if you are looking specifically for advice because i can't provide that to you particularly not from the you know through the lens of an 18 year old because i didn't have anything 
remotely, <laughs> you know, close to your level of insight. But yeah, check out Scott's stuff. It's very, very good. But absolutely, if you feel like, and you don't need to be an expert in things in order to start writing about it or creating something about it. I mean, I started writing about simple living simply by sharing my journey and sharing my experiments and my mistakes and the things that I was trying and the things that I was failing at. You could do the same thing, you know, and, and I think the really encouraging thing is you're not the first person to ask a question like this. So there's, there's more and more people of your age starting to question this stuff. And I think, thank goodness, because you can look at people of my generation and see a significant percentage who are very unhappy. You know, we're, we're existing, not, mm. not living, not choosing, not being, um, being agents of our own life. So I think it's, um, it's awesome. The next question is from Adam. How do I throw away gifts without the giftee noticing next time they visit? <laughs> oh, this is not, this is hard. So, you know, I can say that this is hard, but I've never actually experienced this before. We, we're very fortunate. We don't have... Look, I think we probably have, but we just haven't been that mindful of it. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I mean? No, but what I'm saying is like, I think some, some people have family situations where maybe a, a relative will ask about a specific gift once it's been given. Like, do you use that? That's right. Or where's the yellow soup, sweater I gave you? Where, soup yes. bowl. Yep. Right. Like that's a thing that happens. And what I'm saying is that hasn't happened to us. Like we don't have family members who will check in with gifts so I can say that it's tough, but I don't actually know the full extent of how tough it can be for people. So I'm sorry, that sucks. But what I have discovered is that you can't own someone else's expectations mm. of things. They've given you or your kids or your, you know, your partner a gift. They, as much as maybe they feel like they do, they no longer have ownership of that. Mm. And if they are peppering you with guilt because of giving it away, you don't need to own that. No, that's very true. So I think that, of course, there is probably going to have to be some level of compromise, like keep the things that you're most likely to use or that are least offensive to look at or that you know are most practical or whatever it may be and happily let go of the rest. Yeah. If you've got kids uh, and they're being overrun by gifts from a generous grandparent or something like that, keep the things that they are most likely to use or that aren't going to annoy them, uh, or that aren't going to annoy you, mm. and and let go of the rest. And I think let go at the same time of the guilt, because I I think we often kind of attach the person to the gift, and letting go of the gift isn't letting go of the person. It's not letting go of their love. It's not letting go of their generosity. It's simply letting go of an item that might be like a, a combination of plastics or wood or fabric. Like that's not them. That's not their love. So if you feel free to, to let go of that and the guilt that comes with it. Yeah, I, but it is tough. And I think that compromise really is, tough. is There's, probably a part. If you're going to keep relationships yeah, friendly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know that they may get upset knowing that just you wholesale bin to every single thing that they've ever given you. Mm. Uh, and if it's important for you to, to not offend them, Mm. then compromise is part of it. If if it's not important to you to not offend them, then get rid of it all. That's fine. But, yeah. you know, I think the reason you're asking is because you don't want to offend. You don't want to offend. There's, but really it comes down to two options. The first option, you lie. You say, 
I broke that soup bowl. Oh, that soup bowl stored. I stored it away for when I need it. You can fl- just straight out lie. You won't feel good about it though. The second option is you can say to them, that soup bowl, it was fantastic. I used it a couple of times, but I realized I don't actually need one. So I gave it to someone that really needed it and they really wanted it. Or, you know, I already had a soup bowl, so I gave it to someone. So just dial up the fact that you loved it, you appreciated it as a gift, but you've actually given it to someone that needs it more. And hopefully that's that's what you do. I mean, that's what you end up doing with it, not just landfilling it or something yeah. like that. You actually give it to someone that values it or needs it. Yes. Yeah. More than you do. And that's, and that's, that's, the, really that's the big thing is that you're just saying loved it, but you didn't. You won't get as, as much use out of it as mm. someone that really needs it. Yeah. That's if you're going to talk about it at all. And otherwise the other option is to just pretend that they're not asking about the thing that, that you don't have anymore. <laughs> oh, look, dear. Uh, just distract them with something. That's true. Yeah, I, but it is a very good question and a very common question. Uh, and I wish I had a simple answer, but I think the reality is that emotions are at play with that kind of stuff, particularly if you have family members who have different ideas mm. on what generosity looks like, different mm. ideas on um, love languages and whatnot. You know, I All think, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I think do your best to let go of as much as you can, but, uh, yeah. A little compromise will go a long way. I and think. if you get really frustrated, just go, oh, my God, can't, don't you know I'm a minimalist? Like, please, <laughs> stop it. It's the way to endear people. <laughs> so, again, I say it every hostful, but thank you for your questions. And thank you, Ben, for your insights and your expertise. And your soup bowl passing on. Analogy. Oh, no. Yes. What? Did what? I say something? I don't think so. Uh, have a wonderful week. Yeah. Keep your hostful questions coming in, trickling in, rushing in, however you want them to come in. And uh, if you haven't already, check out the new show on Jackrabbit, Sampled Conversations with Seamus D. McCallery. It is funny and ridiculous and... Highly inappropriate. Highly inappropriate. So maybe don't listen to it with your kids. Episode 161 on the Slow Your Home website. We'll take you to the show notes to this episode. Yes, there'll be a few links there for uh, episode 108 where we answered a similar question to Jasmine's yeah. and a few other things. So, yeah. But in the meantime, have a, uh, a, a great week. Bye. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck.